Keep on rocking in the real world. That's, what, that's the series that we're in. We, we want to encourage you. We want to be a church that's all about uh, keeping our faith real in the real world. Keep on rocking in the real world. We're, we want to be uh, a church that really lives out a DNA of trusting God, uh, and, and that's displayed in the lives that we live. I mean, we exist as a church to help people find and follow Jesus. That's why we exist. We want to help people find Jesus and follow him. Uh, we want to do that uh, by giving them a window through which that they can see Jesus. And they're going to see Jesus by the way that we live out our faith in the real world. The world that you guys live in every single day. When you go to work, when you get out of your truck, uh, when you get out of your car, when you step into your office, when you're at your computer, when you're at your school table, when you're taking a test, uh, that's faith being lived out in a real world. And that's what this series through James is really all about. And we're listening to God's word and we're saying, God, would you help us to live out faith in the real world? Would you help us to trust and believe and recognize where you're working to enlarge our faith so that we can live this out and we can really mean it? And last week we came together and God's word began to, to, began to talk to us, began to teach us, and we began to learn uh, that if, if God's word says something, uh, we can't just listen to it. We can't just uh, look at our face in a mirror and go, yeah, I see that, Zid. We actually have to do something about it, right? Uh, we, we, can't just, we can't just say uh, amen. Uh, we can't just nod our head. Uh, we actually have to, to do something. We said last week we got to put our faith where our life or God's word is. We got to put our life where God's word is. And we have to actually begin to live it. And wouldn't you know that as, as the series goes along, James this morning is going to give us an opportunity to actually see that faith lived out. As he has come and he has begun to say, hey, you got to do what you hear. He says, I'm going to give you an opportunity to do something. Isn't that nice of him? Actually, this morning, James is going to come along and he's going to say very frankly, he's going to say very openly in plain language, he's going to say, hey, church, if you're listening, if you've opened up the word of God, if you have bought into this idea that faith is important, it has to be lived out, if you are hearing the word of God and you are convicted that you ought to do the word of God, uh, then the something that I want you to understand is that you can't play favorites. He's going to come right out and say, hey, uh, there's damage in playing favorites. Uh, you actually have to begin to look at all people, regardless what your senses tell you about people, and you have to treat them equally. That there are different people in the world, uh, different people that you're going to encounter, but you actually have to treat them the same. James is going to come right out and say, no more favorites. If you want to listen to the word and do what it says, then whoever may come across in your life, you can't treat them differently. What does this mean? Well, it means you can't treat them differently. I'm glad some of you laughed. 
Uh, Students, this means for you that let's say that there are, are two new students that come into your school. There's students that are coming to your school that you haven't known before. Now one of them, one of these new students that has come to your school, they're athletic. Not just a little athletic, they're very athletic. And you're thinking, I want to get close to them because if they're athletic, that means they're probably going to be popular. That means that, that if I am seen with them, that I might get to hang out with those people over there that I don't often get to hang out with. Uh, if I get close to that new person, maybe my life will get better. Oh, and they're not just athletic students, right? Oh, no, no, no. You know what they have. You, they have it. They have all of it. People have already begun to go over to their home, and they have all the gadgets at their house, right? I mean, the newest gaming systems, oh, they have it all. The new games. Everybody's going to their house. They have it all. The, the jeans, whatever brand is most popular today, they wear that brand. The sneakers, that $200 pair that your mom wouldn't even ever consider allowing you to wear, oh, they, they wear, they're wearing them. And you're thinking, if I could only get close to them, wouldn't life be great for me? But student, there, there is someone else in your school. They're new. They come in the very same day. Uh, let's just say they're not athletic. Let's say their body shape and their type is not athletic, okay? And you know what? They walk in and nobody notices. Because everybody knows where they live. They live in the small house. And you've not been in there, and neither has anybody else, but uh, you're probably thinking that there can't be any good gadgets in that house, at least based on their dress, right? I mean, those jeans that they're wearing, those are not the jeans that everybody wants to wear. Those shoes, oh no, they're all scuffed up. There's holes in the sneakers. And students, you are tempted. You are tempted, students, in that moment to to begin to play favorites. I mean, come on, be, be honest. I mean, the one person offers you something. The other person offers you perhaps nothing. But here you are. You're in church on Sunday morning. Uh, you heard last week that, that God wants you to do something with what you're hearing. And what you're hearing this morning is God doesn't like you to play favorites. God wants you to treat people equally. Uh, God wants you to treat people the same. Oh, there's different people, but He wants you to treat them impartially. So students, this means that as you go to school tomorrow and there are two different people, there are two different students, there are two different groups, uh, that instead of offering the one new student who has everything before you sidle up next to them and say, oh, would you come and eat with me at my table? 
Oh yeah, I know, students, that the cafeteria is still uh, the social measuring stick. That before you go to that person and say, why don't you come and sit with me, that you offer both of them a seat at your table. That you would be willing to be seen with either one. That you would love both the same. And adults, I haven't forgotten about you. I promise this isn't just about students, is it? Students aren't the only ones that have a, have a tendency perhaps to see two very different people and to try and side on one side or another, perhaps even in the church. What if this morning there were two different people who had driven into the parking lot and one drove up, one drove up in a brand new SUV and they got out and their family, they just are all put together. You know what I'm talking about? I mean, they look nice and everything, every hair is in the right place and, and everybody in their family looks like they kind of work out and they're fit and, and, and you, you kind of begin uh, looking at them and you're like, oh, I, I know, I know who that is. Oh, uh, they're the family that they just moved in down the block and uh, uh, they're influential they give other people jobs. Ooh, I, I wonder if I could get close to that family, if I, could, if I could find my son or daughter or maybe myself a good job. And then there's another family. There's another family that comes to church one day, and let's say they don't drive up in a brand new SUV. Let's say that instead they, they decide, uh, they come in that morning and, and you can hear the car coming from five blocks away, right? You know this car? It's the one where the muffler, unfortunately, as they were coming into church that morning, uh, fell off on I-29. It's rolled off into the ditch and all you can hear for five blocks away is... And they come in, and there's kind of some smoke and uh, stuff pouring out of the front of their car, but they don't seem too worried about it, and they get out of the car, and you notice that, that everything's out of place with this particular family. Nobody's hair seems to be in the right place. The, the man gets out, and his shirt is kind of looking like this. It's all untucked, but only on one side. You notice that he hasn't shaved. Mom's dress does not match her shoes. Her purse is an entirely different color. And you're kind of wondering about this family. When they walk in the door, you notice that there is a particular odor. Like perhaps they hadn't showered. And church, you are faced with the question, which family will I visit? 
James says, hey, we shouldn't play favorites, uh, which means perhaps when the service is over that particular day, you don't just go to the family whom you think you're going to get something out of. You don't just go to the family uh, that, that you think that you would like to be seen with. That when you go and you ask people out for dinner after church services over, you go to both families and say, how would you like to be our guest this afternoon? And this scenario has played out in another church. The same scenario of of those who might decide to play favorites, even in the church, is played out in another church. You see, it's a church that they've been uh, taken away from Jerusalem. They're, they're now living in little tiny towns, and, uh, and, and they're gathering together in small gatherings. Uh, and, and part of the reason that they might be tempted and vulnerable <coughs> to offering up favoritism, to treating some people differently than other people, is because in their own experience, they have just so little. They're impoverished. People aren't, uh, don't generally look at them as people of power or prestige. Uh, generally speaking, they're kind of the, the down and outs in the society, and people don't generally look at them. And, and when someone comes along and begins to show them something, uh, they think, oh man, this might be my break. And in the midst of that, a pastor, a preacher named James comes along and he, and he writes to his church. And he says, I want you to beware. I want you to be listening carefully. I know that you're vulnerable here, but be careful of playing favorites. Would you join me in James chapter 2 this morning? If you have a Bible, go ahead and reach out for one. Uh, James is in the New Testament. It's toward the back of your Bible. (coughs) Hebrews and then James. And we're going to begin in James chapter 2. I want you to hear the scenario that James paints. It's not a different scenario than the one I've just painted for you. And James is going to say so, so clearly, so consistently, don't play favorites. Treat people equally. There's different people, but you have to treat them the same. James chapter 2. James chapter 2. Did everybody get there? James chapter 2. Walk with me in verse 1. My brothers and sisters, believe in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ. Lord Jesus Christ. Um, Believers, excuse me. I'm just going to start over. (laughs) You know, once in a while when you fumble, it's just easy to just, you know, plow right through. That was not one of them. Rewind. My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must, now show favor, must not show favoritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes and a poor man in filthy old 
clothes. And they come in also. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes, (coughs) and you say, here, here, here's a good seat for you, but you say to the poor man, "Um, why don't you stand, stand over there? Uh, Why don't you sit on the floor by my feet? Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? There it is. There's the scenario. James lays it out as clear and as plain as day. Right there in front of us, there's different people. There's different people in your life. There's, there's different socioeconomic people. Uh, maybe there's people in your life that you want to be more like, that you want something from. Uh, yet James says, hey, hey, be careful. Don't discriminate. Treat them equally. Don't say to the one, oh, come on, I'll give you the best. But say to the other, I will give you nothing at all. Now, why does James say this? Why does he want us to treat people equally? Why does he say, don't don't show favoritism, don't discriminate against people despite who they might be or or what they might be like? Why does he do this? Now, some of you might be thinking, well, he does this because it's just a good Christian thing to do. And you would be right to an extent. It is the good Christian thing to do. But I think James is is saying something a little more profound, that James gives us... uh, a solid reason, a foundation as to why we ought to look at people and treat them equally, uh, treat them the same, not treat them differently, uh, not show and play favorites. And so this morning we're going to look at some, some reasons that James gives to us as to why. Why in the world, when these two people come in, should we not uh, cozy up next to the one and ignore the other? Why? James is going to give us some reasons, and they're going to begin kind of on a down-to-earth, practical sort of level. Uh, They're going to begin on that level where you and I live, (coughs) excuse me, and they're going to go, (coughs) they're going to really ascend to the foundations of heaven. So if you're interested in those reasons, look with me again. The the first reason really is one down-to-earth reason. James is just simply going to say, hey, have you ever noticed how the poor are rich in faith? Have you ever noticed how how the poor people in your life, those people that that you would easily dismiss, are often people that I have displayed favor? Go ahead and look at verse 5 in James chapter 2. He says, listen, my dear brothers and sisters, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom that he promised those who... Love him. I mean, it's very down to earth. He's just simply saying, look at the world around you. You have this temptation. 
You want to discriminate against the poor because you think the poor have nothing to offer you. Uh, But perhaps you need to change your lens, God is saying. Uh, Perhaps it is that that God is showing favor upon the poor because the poor are those uh, who, who demonstrate the greatest amount of living faith. Have you ever been around someone who is impoverished in the world? I've had some opportunities to do some world traveling. It's been fantastic. Uh, Usually in impoverished places in the world. I remember several times in mission trips to Mexico. Now, we were there as a group to say, hey, we're going to be here for you. We're going to come. We're going to set a a cement slab for you, and we're going to build a house for you. Isn't that really nice of us? And yet in every one of those circumstances, with the people who were so impoverished that they couldn't afford their own home, that oftentimes their homes were were either made out of old beer boxes or, or whatever pallets they could find. In each one of those circumstances, in each one of those occasions, it, it was the family who demonstrated faith to us. It was often the case that as we looked with that family and as we we gathered with them, uh, oftentimes toward the end of the week, the family would gather up funds in order to feed us or give us some special treat. And I'm thinking, wait a minute, isn't this backwards? And yet it seemed that because of their faith in who God is, it seemed that because they trusted in God, it seemed that because they were, li- they were a- allowing their faith to be lived out in the real world, uh, that they didn't worry about the finances that they were giving in order to feed an entire group. And God is saying through His Word this morning, if you have this temptation deep inside of you uh, to want to sidle up next to someone that you see as wealthy or popular or having something that you most desire, be very careful. Because if you look around you in the world, it is often those who seem to have nothing at all who are most dependent on who God is. If you ever want a reason to leave the country, to go into an impoverished place, maybe in the world, if you ever want a reason to go up to a rescue mission, if you ever want a reason to go into an urban area and find out what really happens in the the streets of places, I want you to go. I want you to meet some poor people. I want you to meet some people that are probably much different than the people that are in this room right now. And I want you to get to know their faith. And then I want you to come back to James chapter 2, verse 5, and I want you to read, Listen, my dear brothers and sisters, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom He promised those who love Him? It's very down to earth. He just simply says, hey, hey, be very careful. Because oftentimes those people that you might dismiss 
could teach you something, could teach you a thing or two about what it means to live out of faith and who God is in the world. Why in the world should we live with impartiality, without favoritism? God says in a down-to-earth way, because sometimes those you would like to dismiss have tremendous faith. But that's not the only reason. There's a really another down-to-earth reason that James begins to give us, uh, and, and he really, as he unlocks all of this, he says, uh, not only do the, the poor uh, oftentimes have a rich faith that, that inherits the kingdom of God, but the rich are often more willing to exploit people for their own personal gain. Uh, notice what he says, begin in verse 6. You've dishonored the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are blaspheming the noble name of him whom you belong? Now, let me ask you a question. When was the last time on the, the evening news or on the front page of the newspaper or in the business section? When was the last time you, you saw on the headlines the name of a poor man who had led his company in bankruptcy because he had, he had secretly been siphoning millions of dollars, ruining the lives of many of those who worked for him? When was the last time you, you saw that from a poor man? Have you ever seen a poor man's name in the headlines when it comes to uh, one who has used their power and their prestige, their money and their wealth, their position uh, to, to make sure that they got what they wanted or that they subverted justice? When was the last time? God is saying through his word, why, why in the world should you should you be careful about showing favoritism and trying to, to look at the, the rich and the famous and those you would most like to be like, the, the popularity perhaps that you would like to have, uh, before you look and want something that they have, be very careful. Because the poor often have faith that you most need and the rich will often exploit you for whatever they can get. These are two down-to-earth reasons, two down-to-earth reasons that James gives us as to why in the world uh, we shouldn't favor one person over another. But on top of these two down-to-earth reasons, James is going to give us one really that, that ascends to the foundation of heaven. He's going to give us one that is an umbrella over all that we do, all that we say, all, that we, uh, all of our encounters with people. And he's going to let us know what it is. Look at verse 8. He says, you have to love impartially. If you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you're doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as a lawbreaker. 
Forever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. For he who said you shall not commit adultery also said you shall not murder. If you do not commit adultery, but you do commit murder, you're a lawbreaker. Why? Why not show favoritism? Because love doesn't work that way. James is saying love has to be impartial. If you're a Christian, if you desire to do God's Word, if you desire to hear it and and have it speak to your life and you want to engage in it, uh, then, then you can't just listen to the Word. You have to do it. And he says, if you want to do this here, if you want to live out your faith in the real world, then the love that you demonstrate with people must be impartial. You can't play favorites. It's interesting, isn't it? You see the economics of the world playing out in this passage. There are those who are rich and those who are poor. And and as a tendency of the world working, it seems like all of us would say, I would like to be rich. I would like to be known by rich people. I would like to be popular. I would like what I would like when I would like it. And if there are people who could help me get there, well, why not? It's interesting what Jesus says about the rich, isn't it? On one occasion, Jesus is asked by a rich person, uh, what must he do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus tells him, And he goes away. And Jesus tells his disciples who were listening an interesting little story. He says of those who are rich, he says, it is easier for a camel, a camel, a large camel, you know those things with large humps on them? He says, it's easier for this camel, the largest known mammal, in the day, it's easier for a camel to go through a tiny, tiny little eye of a needle than it is for a rich man to enter into eternal life. Be careful to whom you show favor. Don't show favoritism. Allow your love to be impartial. He's saying, don't think for a moment, (coughs) don't think for a moment, (coughs) excuse me, don't think for a moment that if you show favoritism, it's not any big deal. That's why he talks about those who are a lawbreaker. How many of you have ever had that, that set of Christmas lights? And the one light goes out, and the whole string, please tell me I'm not the only one, okay? Doesn't that drive you crazy? And you go around and you try and find the one that is really creating this whole havoc in the entire rest of the string. Every other bulb may work, but because one is out, the whole string goes wrong. 
That's what James is saying. Hey, uh, don't begin for a moment to think that just because you've shown favoritism, it's no big deal. It's just this little white sin. Hey, it's a little rebellion. God, I'm doing what's best for me. I- I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have a better life because of this. He says, don't even begin to think that love works that way. That the moment that you do that, the whole string goes out. And then he says something absolutely profound. He begins to say, don't you dare forget the mercy that God has shown you. Don't you dare forget the kind of love, the kind of impartial love that God has shown to you. Look look at verse 12. He says, speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom because... Judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. And James is taking us back to our own story, isn't he? He's taking us back to moments in our life in which we recognize that God has loved us impartially. In Romans chapter 2, verse 11, it says, That God does not show partiality. God's not discriminant. You see, God sent His Son, Jesus, so that all of us, regardless of our race, regardless of our nationality, regardless of our tribe, regardless of our economic status, God sent His Son so that we could know Him. So that we could know salvation. This was the measure of His impartial love for you and me. He said, I'm going I'm to give it to you. I am going to show you mercy. I am not going to give you what you deserve. Oh, you deserve something, but I'm going to show you something so much better. I'm going to demonstrate mercy to you. And you know what I think Paul is saying? He said, God is not showing partiality. God is not showing discrimination. I think he's saying... God makes everybody his favorite. You are God's favorite. There was a guy in Omaha, and he died tragically in a car accident several years ago, and his name was Ty Schinzel. And I remember him standing up one time and saying, You're God's favorite. Not really, but sort of. And as I came to this passage, as I began to look at this impartial love that James is trying to get us to live out, I kind of began to go, aha, there it is. Everybody is God's favorite. You're God's favorite. And when we live out our faith in the real world, We treat everybody as God's favorite. We look at everybody and we say, you're my favorite. We say to the couples out there, you're my favorite. We can look at Steve and say, Steve, you're my favorite. Ron and Esther, you're my favorite. Deb's my favorite. 
Keith, Karen, you're my favorite. Lyle, Teresa, you're my favorite. Dave, you're my favorite. Josh is my favorite. Corinne's my favorite. So when someone pulls into the parking lot next week and they have that car, you can look and say, you're God's favorite. You're God's favorite. Because God loves them partially. Jesus died for all of us, not just for part of us. And you can look at the people that you work with, the different kind of people, and you can say, you're God's favorite. You're my favorite. And you can treat them like your favorite. To the mom who's trying to get out of her car and she can't quite get all the kids in and, and that snot's running everywhere and things are out of place, you can say, you know what? I, I love you and you, you're my favorite. To the student that walks in and they don't have anything together and maybe they don't even speak the same language or have the same skin tone as you do, but you look at them and you say, oh, you're my favorite because you're God's favorite. And you can look at the neighbor that, uh, that you disagree with entirely and you can look at them and you can say, you're my favorite because you're God's favorite. God has favorites because everybody is God's favorite. So church, this week, when you find someone who is different than you, would you just be thinking and then act on? You're my favorite because you're God's favorite. Let's pray. Gracious God, I thank you so much for who you are and all that you do. And I pray, Father, for all of us that we will figure out how to live out a message from your word that says love impartially. Love without favoritism. Love without discrimination. Lord, I pray that anyone we come in contact with, anyone that our senses may encounter, regardless of what they look like or how they speak or how they smell, Lord, I pray that we can look at them and recognize that they are your favorite. And Lord, would you help us to love them like you have loved us and say to them, you're my favorite. Lord, thank you for making us your favorite. Thank you for sending your son. We don't deserve it. We haven't earned it. And Lord, may that fuel us. May it fuel our faith. May it fuel our trust and our belief in you that we will treat everyone like your favorite. And we pray this in Jesus' name.